but um, I'm just going to ask you tonight, like, I like to be a little more interactive. I'm, I don't want to, you know, ever it seem like I've got this all together or I've got this figured out. And so all of us in here, we're on this same journey, really. Um, it may look a little different. It may, we may struggle a little different. But all across the room, all of us, it's just the same journey. And so tonight, I'm just going to ask you to just um, kind of forget about the day, you know, forget about what's going on and pretend like it's not KR talking. Just know that anytime we come in here, Dylan has to remind me of this sometimes. This is God's word and he performs his word. And so he always has something to speak to us. It's just, are we willing to hear it? And I will tell you that this particular message um, is probably more for me than anybody. And that's how this always operates for me. So tonight we are continuing on in week three of the spiritual warfare series. And um, the, ther- the theme scripture that Pastor Christian has been using is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, in case you weren't here. And that, that says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so because some of you may not have been here, I'm just going to recap the last two weeks just very briefly. In week one, Pastor Christian talked about that we have to expose the enemy and his tactics, that there's three realities that we all have to know. Number one, that the devil is real. If we don't believe that, it's hard to go any further in understanding the battles of this life. So the devil is real. The devil wants to destroy us. And we have an enemy. He is a liar and a thief. And we talked about how the enemy is after what belongs to God. We talked about the thing, we have to be careful with the things that we put in our mind and the things that we put in our bodies and how he wants to steal the next generation. And then in week two, um, he talked about the weapons that we need to use to fight with. And that is the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the word of God. And that in the battle, there are four things that we need to do. Number one, we have to recognize that we're in a fight. Um, number two, we have to stop listening to ourselves. How many people know we're not trustworthy? Uh, number three, start talking to ourselves the right way. And we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight. And number four, we have to go to God. So can everybody um, just understand or do you already know we are in a battle? Satan doesn't stop and he is very persistent. I'm sure we all know that. And I always, when I'm talking to people in our life coaching sessions, one of the analogies that I really use is that um, if you guys have ever watched a woodpecker, um, when he's in the woods, it's true, you can go Google it, he flies from tree to tree pecking, not, not just to peck on a hundred different trees, but he's looking for a weak spot. Because typically in a weak spot, there are bugs and worms and kind of things like that. And so once he finds that, that's where he stays for the majority of the time. And that is what Satan does to you and I. He just keeps coming at us and keeps coming at us until he finds a weak spot. And once he finds the weak spot, that's the spot he stays. So that's why the last couple of weeks have been so important for us to really lean into and understand. And so tonight we are going to be talking about 
one of the most common uh, battles or spiritual attacks that we all likely have faced, are facing, will face in our spiritual journey, and that is fear. Has anyone in the room ever struggled with fear? And I will raise my hand. Um, This is something that has stole lots of my life, lots of my time and my energy. And so I can really identify with what God is wanting to speak to us tonight. So I'm going to pray one more time and then we will really just dive right in. Father God, I just come to you right now and I just ask you um, to reveal your word to us, to reveal your heart to us, to open our minds, um, to receive what it is that you have for us. Um, This is your word. These are your people, and you have something specific that you want to do in every person. And so right now, I just pray that you would drown out the noise, that we can just, for this one minute in time, just be very aware of who you are. And so I thank you for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jeremy likes to play a lot of games in the office, and one of the things he started several months ago is, Would You Rather?, And so you can say it out loud. Like I said, I I like this to be interactive. So would you rather hold a snake or spider in your hand or come up on the stage and give a speech? Speech? Really? You guys would not know this, but this, this used to be one of my greatest fears, is to stand up in front of people and publicly talk, because I had a lady that told me I had really bad facial expressions one time. So if I do, sorry in advance, because I'm probably still going to have the same ones. But um, I say that because in those three things, we all probably really do have a little bit of natural fear about one of those things. And so fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. And so if you are really studying about fear, there's typically three types There's rational fear, and this is the the fear that occurs when it's real. There's imminent danger. Somebody's coming at you with a knife or somebody's pointing a gun at you, Um, so it's real danger. Then there's primal fear, and this is an innate fear that's kind of programmed into our brains, and it's because we've learned, like, if we say snake or alligator or think, like, we know that it can cause fear or cause um, harm, and so we have this innate fear. And then the third one is the one we don't want to struggle with. Um, is irrational fear. And these are um, the ones that don't make logical sense and can vary from person to person. But this is the fear when we really don't have any imminent danger, but we still are over aware or hypersensitive to something. And it really can be anything. It could be a snake. It could be a spider. Um, But the example that I'm going to use, and she's not here so I can do this, I mean, I'd never say her name, but I have a friend who is really, really highly scared of somebody abducting her children to the point that if we are in public or she's in places, it dictates everything about the trip. It dictates, so this is an irrational fear. Nothing really is imminently happening, but because she's heard that these things can happen, it's created this fear. And honestly, it, that, that can become, I'm not saying that it is for her, but it's something she has to be aware of. It can become, become a stronghold. And so all throughout the Bible, 
and we know these, and God constantly uses phrases like, fear not, do not fear, don't be afraid. And so if God is saying something like this over and over, probably it means that it's going to be something that humans struggle with, right? And so fear is mentioned in the Bible over a hundred times, and it's referenced in some form over 365 times. So you and I, we will feel terror if we're faced with a deadly threat. We'll feel anxious if somebody says, you're going to get up on stage and speak and you don't like to speak. Um, but these are all natural feelings. But tonight, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about that we have to be careful because there's a next level to this. And this is when we are being controlled by the spirit of fear. We find the term spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And so if you remember back to week one, we learned that Satan is real. And he uses demonic spirits to attack us. And so this um, says that God didn't give this to us. So this can only be an attack of the enemy. So a spirit of fear... It's going to create that um, we have this innate thing where we think we can, but we really don't fully trust who God is. So it creates this lack of faith because it creates in whatever this thing is, fear is different for all of us. I'll tell you, mine used to be what people thought about me. And it would trouble me to the point that I just pleased any, anybody any way that I could. And so this is when we begin to obsess over something. It starts to steal a lot of our time, a lot of our energy. And so fear in this context will become a hindrance. It, will be, it starts preventing us from living our best life. And so sometimes this, this fear that we're going to talk about, you know, Satan's a deceiver, so it's really hard for us to be able to see it sometimes or recognize it. And so there's a lot of different ways it can manifest. But a lot of times, not always, I'm just giving you some things tonight. It can surface as insecurities, as anxiety, as depression, and the need to control. That, that's my top one. And so fear always begins here in our thoughts and in our mind. And so the last two weeks... Pastor Christian has really been giving us the tools. We'll know what these things are. Tonight we're going to learn to recognize this, but we got to go back to week one and two and really, really understand that we are in a battle and we have to know how to fight. And Satan is going to do everything that he can to do this. And so the, the Bible says we first have to take every thought captive, okay? We read the word and we don't understand that it's more than reading Pastor Bobby said something that forever changed me. He said that as Christians, we have the wrong concept of the word belief. And so when we um, say these words, we can't just read them. We've got to really meditate on them. We've got to know what they're for. And so why fear? Why would Satan use fear? So can we just take a quick journey? We're going to, I'm in this study, and so I'm driving everybody in the office crazy, because when I'm in a study, I just talk about it all the time. But I'm going to kind of do what he does, because this will, this will help us a little bit. So we're just going to pull back a little bit. I told us earlier that we're all kind of in the same journey, right? So we're just going to go back for a minute, and we're going to think about from the beginning of time what this really looked like. So in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and Satan entered... Adam and Eve sinned, 
And immediately, Adam and Eve did what? They hid. And it says, you know, they have this conversation with God, but the real reality was it's because they were scared. They did something wrong. They did not know what their consequence was going to be. And so this one event, one thing forever changed history, changed the world. Because now instead of this perfect world, we have a fallen world where every person who enters it is now in sinful nature. It's a fallen place. And so no longer is it perfect. And so at that moment, spiritual warfare began. And so God's whole story now in the Bible becomes this redemptive story. How is he going to redeem his people? How is he going to save the world? That's a lot to do with me and you and every person here. And so God in the Old Testament we see begins to use people. But all of these people in the Old Testament were pointing to one person, Jesus. Jesus was the redemptive plan. He was the way, the only way. And so um, as we begin to move forward into the New Testament, we soon understand that Jesus is going to come. He knows his plan and his purpose, and it's to do what? It's not a trick question. What is he going to do for me and you? He's going to die. And so he knows this plan and purpose. So now he says, you know, I've got to get disciples. I've got to get people that I can give what my father has given to these people, what he sent me for. I've got to give it to these people because in this study, what I'm learning is it's called the thread of redemption. And all of us carry the thread, but we get to choose if we carry the thread. And that is this ability to take what we know and carry it on. So you and I, when we said yes to Jesus, we continue the thread if we share this message with other people. So this whole story, this whole redemptive plan, now we are part of that plan, you and I. We are the one that carries this forward. And so you would say, KR, what does this have to do with fear? It has everything to do with fear because from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they did was they hid because they were scared. And so that is the very thing that the enemy wants to use on creation because this is the thing that creates hindrance. It creates disconnection. And so at this point, if we fast forward, here we all are. We're part of the plan. There are only two real objectives that we have as his children. Now, number one is to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, and whom I formed and made. And the second thing that you and I are here for is to do whatever. There is no, like, written out guide for each of you. God has it. He wants you to talk to him. And he wants to give it to you when he's ready to. So God, number two, wants us to do whatever he needs us to do to reach the lost and to fulfill his purpose. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely 
I'm with you to the very end of age, and that's it. So it gets very confusing because in the world, we have families, we have careers, we have all of this stuff going on, and so we easily, if we're not careful, forget about these two things. But nothing trumps these two things. I love my husband, I love my family, and God has a specific place for them. But he wants me to seek him first and his kingdom and his righteousness. And he'll add all these other things to my life. And so Jesus even went a step further and he said, God, I just want you to know how important these people are going to be to me. And so in John 17, 20 through 25, Jesus actually prays for all the believers. And he says, God, I'm not only praying for them, but also for all those who believe in me. Because of them and their witness about me, the goal is for all of them to become one mind or one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so that they'll be unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me, then they'll be mature in the oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and love them in the same way that you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see the glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I know you, and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I've made you... Um, your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I'm in them. And so Jesus goes on to just say, this is really it. This is what I'm praying for, God. I need them to now take all of the things that's in the word. You guys know what they are. I need them to believe in me. I need them to be unified in me, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so that they can be witness and evidence to the world so that people will really believe that God sent Jesus. See, we say that. That makes sense to us. And so when we sit in here, what happens is we get so comfortable. And I say this all the time. If you go talk to people... If you ever want to talk to people like Rachel and Zach, they'd kill me for calling them out. But people who have not always lived here, the first thing that they're going to tell you is you guys have no idea how lucky you are. Because we've always heard Jesus. But there are people in other areas that they have never heard. They don't know this plan. They don't know this story. So we have to be really careful to, to just take the broad view sometimes and just remember the real plan and purpose that we're here for. And so again... I said all of that to just remind you the reason Satan wants to use fear is because he wants to do anything he can to stop that from happening. You and I are here to further the kingdom, to bring, he wants to still fulfill all of the parts of the kingdom through each one of us. Not one of us is exempt from that. So every person in this room, he is going to attack us some way in order to hinder that process. He wants us busy. He wants us distracted. He wants us outside of purpose. Because if he can for a second get us believing that we aren't good enough, that we're not worth very much, 
then what will happen is the one person that maybe you were supposed to affect will never come to pass because you'll be too scared or too fearful to do that. And so tonight, one of the things that I say in starting point to everybody is that we have to remember God is not saying this specific number of people, but if every one of us changes one person that changes one person that changes one person that changes one person, there can be generations of people who are forever changed. That's what, that's what Satan is scared of. He needs this redemptive thread to be broken. And so he will use fear if he can to do that. And that's why the last two weeks... We have to really hear what Christian said. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to deceive us. He wants to hinder us. He wants to stop us from God's plan. And so the spirit of fear is one of the tactics that he uses. And so really quick, we're going to look at some signs. Now remember, we're not talking about natural fear. We're going to look at some signs that maybe um, would show that we could be experiencing I'm not saying that's right now, the spirit of fear. So number one, we're going to go through these kind of quickly because it's not where I want to land. And okay, I'm not doing bad. Number one, you might be experiencing this spirit of fear if you are feeling unloved by God or questioning his love. This, this is kind of that um, classic, um, I don't know if God loves me. Um, because bad things have happened to me. It makes us question God's goodness. Number two, you might be avoiding the Bible, church, or prayer. And this is the classic, you've heard fight, flight, or flee, or freeze. Um, The spirit of fear will cause us to flee, and that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They did something wrong, and they went and hid because they were in fear of what would would happen. So um, this oftentimes is that mentality of, I've got all these battles, but I would rather avoid them than face them because I don't know what's going to happen, and that's better for me. So we will just choose worry over just facing the battle. Number three, um, difficulty in engaging in relationships. And this one often surfaces insecurity, poor self-esteem, the fear of what people think, the fear of rejection, the fear of being hurt. And so that will hinder our relationship with other people. Number four, worry and indecision in making choices. Some of y'all won't know what this means, but if you've taken any kind of personality test and you're a six, it's just because you're a six. But if you're not a six, it just may be because you're experiencing the spirit of fear. This one is for all the anxious people, the people who worry, the people who are control freaks, the people like me. Um, That's what worry and indecision does. It leaves us thinking that there's no way that God can work all things out for good for me. God, I really just wish you would do it my way because my way's better. It's kind of really that. We wouldn't say it that way, but that's kind of what this does. And it could be anything from, I don't know if I should take that job um, to, I don't know if, if I should do that with our money, kids, all of those kind of things. And so number five, you may be, an exper- you may be um, having a spirit of fear if you're compromising morals. Sometimes when it seems like the only way to survive to keep people happy or to get what you want, 
and you begin to compromise moral values. We start to do the things we know we're not supposed to do or we don't do the things we know we're supposed to do and we begin to compromise morals. So in real simple terms, you could have this spirit of fear attacking you. It doesn't mean that it's on you. It doesn't mean, I'm just saying that you could be experiencing the battle that if you're feeling unloved, not connected to God and people, insecure, avoiding your purpose, deceived of what is right and wrong. And that's why it's really important the Bible talks about us making sure that we, we can see our reflection in the mirror and we know what we really see and being truthful for that. So this is why Satan will try to use fear because it will leave us unproductive, it will leave us hopeless, it will leave us paralyzed, and that is just the kind of Christians that he would want to be in the world. See, saying yes to Jesus is the greatest thing that you and I will ever do. But Jesus never meant for it to stay there. So if Satan can keep us inactive... We gained heaven, but nobody else gets it because we are the people who carry that. We are part of the story. And for me, one of the reasons probably Christian gave this to me, just being brutally honest, I carry a very false sense of security. Um, I've always done that. People think that I'm very happy-go-lucky and, you know, it's KR, that, that one. But really inside of me, the majority of my life, I have suffered from extreme insecurity, and I didn't know what it came from, but it really came from the fact that I don't trust. I have a really hard time trusting people, so that means it's really hard for me to trust something that I can't see. I've been able to do that very differently this part of my life, but for so much of my life, I spent my entire everything just, is people going to like me? Is people going to like what I wear? Is people going to like how I decorate my house? Is people going to think my house is too small? You know, is people going to like the way I speak? Even up until this day, I had to be very aware of my thoughts because it's so easy for me to start caring more about what you guys think than I do about what God thinks. And so we all may struggle with that. So we just have to be aware of what this spirit of fear can really begin to do. And again, it can surface in each of us very differently. And so how do we respond to a spirit of fear? And I love this, and I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I really kind of just stumbled across this, and I was grateful that I did. We fight it by the spirit of faith. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul said, And having the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe there, whoops, went too fast. Uh, therefore, we also speak. This verse says that we have the spirit of faith, the Holy Spirit. So we speak, and we speak not according to our own mind, not according to the way that we think, but according to the word. That's where this faith comes from. Faith comes by hearing the word. We know that. And PB has said this since I've ever known him. It's faith or fear. It's never both. So wherever you're at in your life, you're probably operating in one, one of those. And so once we recognize it, we have to begin to build our faith. See, we don't naturally have just, the Holy Spirit has abundance of faith, but you and I, just like exercise, we have to work our faith. And so I'm going to go into counseling mode for just a second. Several years ago, when I realized that my anxiety had gotten so bad, mostly triggered by this need to be perfect and to please people and all of those things. Um, one of the greatest things that she taught me 
is that we all have neuropathways. And in these neuropathways, when we experience things that are traumatic, and trauma means something different to every person in the room, it doesn't, we often think of some big experience. That's really not it. It could be a really bad argument that you watched your parents have that, that went a little too far. It could, it could be so many things. But what happens is we experience this trauma, and in this one part of our brain, it experiences that, and it creates this pathway. If we're not wise enough to understand to not allow that to keep happening, what happens is every time you experience something that's traumatic, you will go back to the same place in your brain. It's the reason you go, why do they keep doing that? Why, do they, why are they that way? And it's because we've created the, the habit to do that. And so there's only one way, one way to, to, do, to fix that. And that is to create a new pathway. You have to start replacing the thing that you're thinking with something else. So if I now fear, and I'm just using this, my parents are fine, y'all. Um, if I'm fearing that, you know, my parents are still going to be in an argument or that's going to make me and my husband argue that same way, I have to start telling myself a different story every time I think the thought. So if you're wondering in the room tonight why you struggle with your thoughts, it's because you allow yourself to do it and you never replace it with something different. So if you have a fear tonight, if you have something that you constantly struggle with in your mind, you have to replace it every time, every time, every time. And so how do we do this? Number one, for us spiritually speaking, we have to know who God really is. If you want to be able to fix a mindset problem, a fear problem, then you have to replace every lie that Satan throws your way with God's truth. And so if you don't read your word a lot, I would encourage you, find scriptures at least to keep with you that will combat the things that you struggle with. We um, can only attack... Um, this particular problem by replacing the lie. First John 4.16, um, and I'm using this in the analogy of if, if you've ever felt like God doesn't love you, this would be a lie that Satan tells us. First John 4.16, we would replace it with, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I could also tell myself, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you and I. I could use Ephesians 3, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all goodness. So when Satan begins to say to me, God does not love you you're not lovable, you're not good enough, I have to have a truth to replace the lie. Otherwise, I'm fighting spirit with flesh, 
and it doesn't work. I'm not strong enough for that. And there are so many other scriptures, if you're struggling with things, all throughout the Bible, God is my provider. God is my restorer. God is just. God is good. God is my protector. God fights for me. God loves me. Those are all things that people struggle with, but those are all scriptural. And so whatever it is that you struggle with, go find scripture so that you can start speaking truth to your mind. Number two, stay connected to God. Pastor Bobby tells us this wasn't all the time. We should be so sick of it. The single thing that has transformed my mind the most, when I tell you guys that I struggled with anxiety, I, sh- I had never known what it was, and I was driving down the road with my kids in the car, and I began to have a panic attack, and I did not know what they were. I didn't know where it came from. I did not know why. And when I started going to counseling, they said, it's just from so long of all of this. <laughs> You don't want to be in my brain. So it is, though, from so much worry, from so much anxiousness, from so much of KR trying to fix it on her own, you have to be in the Word. I, I tell them all the time, I wish I could touch people and be like, this is KR before when she didn't read the Word. This is KR now when she does read the Word. And I'm not saying I have it figured out. I have to be so aware of it. But we have to be in the Word and we have to pray. I do not listen. I tell my people in the gym this. You will do what's important. And there are some things that I feel like spiritually when we get up here, we can be really nice and fluffy about. But these are not the ones. We are his children. He wants to know us. He wants to help us. We have to read our Bible. We have to pray. It is the only way we really know who he is. And you have to go to church. These are the things that keep us connected let God be all of the things that you need him to be. John 15, 5 through 7 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm going to let you guys go through the rest of that verse because I'm losing time. So um, we also could do Romans eight thirty eight here. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He does it. He does the supernatural, but we have to put in the work. We have to stay connected to fight the battles the enemy throws our way. Number three. We have to surround ourselves with good people. Iron sharpens iron. I tell my boys this all the time. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That doesn't mean we don't go love people who, who need to be loved on. That's not what that means. I'm just saying, if you struggle, you need to be surrounded with people who are going to spur you on in faith. Who, if you struggle with fear, are going to speak truth over you, who are going to help you. Galatians 6 to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 John 4, 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Satan gets so much out of this one, and I'm um, just telling on myself a lot tonight because I don't want to use anybody else's story, but for so very long in my most insecure state, What I would do is I would size people up and I would say, she's prettier than me, that makes me insecure, so she's probably not going to be in my inner circle. Um, That family, they are a lot better than my family, so I'm probably not going to, that's probably not going to be my inner circle. 
And that was always my issue. It was never theirs. But I never even allowed them to even get close to me because Satan had me feeling so inadequate and so yucky about the life that I had. And so we have to be so careful. We need friends. We need people. This is, in fact, God said to to Adam, like, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we need one another. Number four, maybe the hardest one, let God lead. God created the heavens and the earth and everything that you see, including me and you. He really doesn't need our help. He is so capable of handling every life in the room. Why in the world do we struggle so much with just letting him do it? Just letting him tell you what job you should have. Just letting him tell you what you should do with your finances. Just letting him tell you what he wants your life to be like. Why is that so hard for us? And oftentimes we don't, we don't want to say this, but it's because we aren't really certain that he's going to do it the way we want him to. And so we have to be so careful. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And my faith, I wish I could have read the whole thing, but I do not have time. This is, if you ever want to feel good about who God says you are, you read this whole this whole um, chapter, Psalms 139, 13. It's a lot more than 13 through 16, but maybe not. Um, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and this is this is the line, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I just wish we could get up every day and go, God already has this day figured out. Who do I need to speak to? Who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to text? The Bible even says that when we go to pray, we don't even know what we should pray for. That we should ask him who we should pray for, what we should be praying for. That's how dependent every day should be when it comes to our spiritual walk. God wants to lead you. And nothing is exempt from that. The minute that we give him our kids and our marriages and our finances and all the stuff that we try to control, the better our life will be. And number five, zero compromise. This is not about perfection. That's not it. I heard somebody say this, and I love it. Jesus made us perfect even when our performance isn't. Like, we're still not performing well all the time, right? So in good standing because Jesus died for us, but we cannot afford to compromise. Every time we start to compromise the thing that we know to be true, we open the door for these attacks to be even stronger than they were. And so compromise is always settling for less. Um, I'm going to close with one last verse, and I'm going to have the guys come back up. Um, I really wasn't sure how I was going to close. And um, so I just told them, like, just be ready, I'll tell you. Um, But I really think this is a big deal. I think the, the next two weeks, we've talked about how to fight. We've talked about the weapons that we use. But here's the reality. You have to know 
you have to know what your battle is. You have to know what the attack, the, the enemy is coming at you with. And I ch- truly believe, and I'm not saying that every one of you are struggling with this, but I think a lot of people do. And so I'm going to read one more scripture. And what we're going to do, nothing like, I'll pray for you if you need that. But what I'm really just going to do is they close. If you struggle, so there's only two things you could have. You could be sitting in the room and you have a spirit of faith or you're sitting in the room and you know you have a spirit of fear. What I would have you do is I would have you just begin to talk to God about, hey, today is the day that I'm saying no more of this, that I'm going to turn this over to you and I'm going to first believe because belief is the first thing that we have to have. If we don't have belief, we can't go any further. So 1 John 4, 13 through 19, this is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as a Savior to the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continually in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it, heart and soul, this love that comes from God. This way, Love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're ready, we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love love and be loved. And so tonight, the key to this is, if you struggle with this, you probably struggle a little bit with belief. And so tonight, if you want to, again, if you have kids and you need to go, I totally understand that. But if this is something you struggle with, what I would just ask you, just get, we're going to go through just a couple of verses here as they sing. If this is something you struggle with, I would really ask you to say, God, help me with my belief. This is something I'm laying before you that I'm believing tonight. When I get up tomorrow, we're going to start this faith journey, and I'm going to start doing this the right way.